1: This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 326.
0: Creating a high-performance organization is a strategic leadership decision. And unless you decide you're going to build one, you are never going to drift to
1: greatness. Hi, I'm Jeff, and this is the Read to Lead podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. I'm so glad to have you. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for coming back. I believe that if you want to achieve true success in business and in life, then intentional and consistent reading is a must. And the Read to Lead podcast is gonna help you narrow this list and bring you key insights and valuable ideas from some of today's most Successful and inspiring authors. Today, we are joined by Mark Miller. He's author of the book Win Every Day Proven Practices for Extraordinary Results. I'll be asking Mark to share what high performance companies do that set them apart from the rest of the pack, the behaviors needed to create and sustain a plan of execution what you can do to influence those around you when you're not the one in charge, and lots, lots more. In particular, if you're a fan of business fable-type books, the kind of books written by authors Bob Berg, Andy Andrews, Ken Blanchard, and the like, then you're going to love Win Every Day. It, too, is a business fable, and Mark has done an amazing job writing it. It also doesn't hurt that he's a vice president at one of my favorite places to eat maybe yours too. Mark Miller is a business leader, best-selling author, and storyteller who began his Chick-fil-A career over 40 years ago. Since joining the company, he's provided leadership for corporate communications, field operations, quality and customer satisfaction, training and development, organizational effectiveness, and leadership development. In short, a lot. His desire to encourage and equip leaders has taken him around the globe. He's the author of nine books, uh, two co-authored with a gentleman who's been on the show here before, Ken Blanchard, who you may have heard of, and he has sold over a million copies of his books, and, and, and those books have been translated into 25 different languages. Wow. His latest is all about how organizations excel at execution, or need to, I should say, and it's called Win Every Day, Proven Practices for Extraordinary Results. Mark, welcome officially to the Read to Lead podcast. Well, thank you, Jeff.
0: It's uh, it's a real treat to be with you.
1: Did you like how I emphasized that over 40 years ago? Well, Pardon.
0: I was going to ask you about that. And, and then, you know, all my different stops. Uh, you were more gracious than a colleague of mine who introduced me recently as a guy who can't hold down a job, which is also true. Uh, but I'm so thankful that I've had a chance to work across pretty much the entire business. Mercifully, they kept me out of finance. But other than that, I've worked across
1: the whole business and it's been fun. Oh, yeah. Finance would be my weakness as well. in <laughs> your shoes. Well, first, I thought we'd talk about the fact that this book is actually a part of a series. Can, can you shed a little light on, on the books that sort of lead up to this new title? Sure.
0: This is the fifth and final installment in the High Performance series. And that journey began really in earnest about 2010. We were trying to figure out what is it that all high-performance organizations have in common. Mm. And that question led us on a journey that lasted almost five years. And out of that, uh, I wrote a book called Chess Not Checkers. And in it, we outlined the four things that we found to be true in all high-performance organizations. And since then, we've unpacked that with a book to support each of those moves. And the Excel at Execution, as you mentioned in my introduction, is the hallmark of all high-performance organizations. And so this book is the fifth and final installment really to help leaders do a deep dive on each of those moves.
1: So get all five. Uh, is what you're saying basically <laughs>
0: well if 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 uh, if there is a need, somebody asked me about my books and, and do I recommend one book or another book or and I said it sort of depends on your need. Th- they were purpose written. so if you're trying to build a team, we've got a book on teams. If you're trying to work on engagement, we've got a book on engagement. and so I, I don't think one size fits all. I think leaders right. are faced with a myriad of opportunities and challenges and problems, and we've just been about creating resources to meet those needs.
1: And this most recent installment is, is of course, in, in the form of a fable. Are they all, do they all take on that, that same format?
0: Yes, so far, although I'm working on my first real book, as my publisher would call it, <laughs> and uh, we should see that in 2022. But I, I actually, I would argue, stumbled onto that because 20 years ago, Ken Blanchard approached me about, co-authoring a book with him. Mm -hmm. And because that was a style that he was uh, famous for. When I was creating the first draft, I just mimicked that style. And what we've discovered and what he knew all along is that people of all ages and all cultures love a good story.
1: Mm -hmm. How did you end up over time becoming the guy that oversees leadership development for, you know, one of the country's largest restaurant chains?
0: Well, you know, I was the 16th corporate employee mm. and I started in the mailroom in the warehouse and and my career it's been a bit of a uh, somebody said it's been a climbing wall, not a ladder. And I have just moved around the business and it was 20 years ago or so, I moved into training and development and at that point we had all of the training together, the operational training, brand standards, team member in the restaurant, new operator, staff, it was all together. And so we began to, to create pieces and parts. And there was a group formed, I don't know, 15 years ago called Leadership Development, which fit under the training and development banner. Mm. But I think the, that's probably the technical response. What, what really happened is I've just tried to grow every day. And I've tried to to learn my way into leadership. And I've discovered that some of the things that I'm learning and we're learning are also of value to leaders around the world.
1: Well, you talked about a moment ago, execution, excelling in execution and and why that's important. In in your view, what does it ultimately mean for an organization uh, to excel at execution?
0: Well, I'll uh, I'll flip that back on your audience, and I'll ask them to think about elite organizations. And my bet is it's a relatively short list. You can probably name a half dozen. If I pushed you, you could name a dozen. Yeah. Well, think about that because you interact with thousands of organizations, and so I think a high performance organization is really one that consistently operates at elite levels. Mm. And if I can, I'll tell you a little story because even that definition leaves some people cold Mm. and they're going, yeah, but see, here's the challenge with a, a concrete, finite definition. The way a school defines high performance and the way a chicken restaurant describes high performance and the way a nonprofit describes it and the way an accounting firm describes it, it just really was difficult for our team. And so the story we started telling is that what happens to most new leaders when they take their uh, position, they're given a very large rope and they get on one end and they're Entire employee base gets on the other end and they begin a tug of war. Mm. And I know that sounds nonsensical, but let's look at it from a Chick fil A perspective. That operator, the man or woman that's running that restaurant, they're trying to get people to wear their name badge and they say, I can't find my name badge. (laughs) And they're saying, We want you to, you know, say my pleasure and they say whatever. And you're in this tug of war. You can do that for a while because you're a big dog leader, but most leaders, Get tired. And what many have chosen to do at that point is they go get a half dozen people from the other side and they bring them to their side and they say, Now we've got a leadership team. <laughs> but come Monday morning, you're in the same epic battle pulling against your team. You need to do table touch ins and greet the guests. I don't like the customers, or you need to use the holding system, or it's too complicated. And so a high performance organization simply stated is when you get everyone on the same side of the rope with the leader pulling towards your goals and against your competition. You're still in a tug of war. Every leader's in a tug of war if they're leading. The question is, who are you pulling against? And it's just tragic, there's so many organizations leadership is pulling against their own team. High-performance organizations don't do that. And so what we wrote about in Chestnut Checkers are the four moves that all high-performance organizations make to get everybody on the same side of the road.
1: Mm. Well, you would think, correct me if I'm wrong, that every leader desires for their team to execute at a high level. Why then does it wind up, you think, being so elusive for so many?
0: Well, there are probably a lot of answers. I want to be real careful not to give a 10 cent answer to a million dollar question. But Let me give you a few of them. I love Q&A and I hate Q&A for the same reason. I'd love to talk to you all day about that. And I'm probably not even qualified to, to go to the depths on that. You probably need a psychologist in the room to figure this out. But at the really high level, I, I think that a lot of leaders don't have a plan. Because I've actually talked to leaders that say all they care about is execution and they can't execute. Well, that's because they don't have a credible plan. Mm. Again, if you're not making these other, let me just tell you what these are. If you're not betting on leadership, if you're not acting as one, and if you're not winning the heart, you don't have a prayer of sustained mm. execution. Leadership, alignment, and engagement. I describe it like the, the routine that precedes the dismount for a gymnast. Imagine a gymnast that said, I just wanted to do the dismount. Mm. Well, where do you get the height, the energy, and the momentum to stick the landing? It's in the routine that precedes the dismount. So an organization that consistently excels at execution, it's because they're well led, they're aligned, and their people are engaged. And so a lot of leaders don't execute because they don't have a holistic view of what's required and they don't have a plan. Mm. So I guess that's my, my s- simple answer. And there are probably some other misconceptions that come into play. But fundamentally, the leader has to decide. Creating a high-performance organization is a strategic leadership decision. And unless you decide you're going to build one, you are never going to drift to greatness. I mean, name a great organization that just woke up one day and they were great. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Yeah. So there's a level of intentionality that that leaders have to legitimately say, we're going to do
1: this. Some of what you're talking about is is getting at the whole idea of what it means to win every day and something that you talk about at length in the book, this idea of pursuing mastery. Can, Can you talk a bit more about that concept?
0: One of the overarching principles to excel at execution at the scale we're talking about, to become elite, I mean, just to defy people's expectations and to blow their mind about how consistent an organization performs at the highest level, the first domino that has to fall is for every individual to make a personal commitment to pursue mastery. Mm. A member of our team, when we were doing this research, his name is Milt Lauder, Dr. Milt Lauder. He's the sports psychologist for Clemson football, and he was the one that kept impressing upon me, you can't be as good as you want to be unless individuals make a decision. Mm -hmm. He said, you, you can't edict or mandate. You really can't even do it with carrots and sticks because so much of excelling at execution is born of the discretionary time, energy, effort of the individual. And so we call it the first fundamental of execution is that individuals have to decide, I am willing to give my best effort to do the right thing the right way every time. And and that's where it actually starts.
1: And when it comes to what everyone needs to do, that's just one of a couple of things, three things, actually. Pursuing mastery is one. Yes. Uh, Owning the numbers is one. Helping others win is one.
0: Right. Well, what we realized Pretty quickly, as we studied organization after organization after organization, we spent time with most of the usual suspects and then a few others. We spent time with the Navy SEALs, and we spent time with Apple, and we spent time with Starbucks, and we spent time with Southwest Airlines. We spent time with Cirque du Soleil. We spent time with Mayo Clinic and on and on. I mentioned Clemson football. I had some uh, enlightening conversations with some of their coaching staff about these concepts and these principles. And we we realized, it really goes back to that first fundamental, the magic is in the masses. If you want to mm. consistently execute, it's fine if one person or 10% or 20% of your organization is pursuing mastery and it really won't matter. Mm. That's, it, it, it's not consequential at the end of the day. Think about a sports analogy. If you put 11 men on a football field, and eight of them don't do their assignment or don't make their block, what happens? Well, what happens if one or two of them don't do their assignment or make their block or run their route? And so the magic is in the masses. And that's why we believe those three behaviors, those fundamentals apply to the entire team.
1: And for leaders, though, it goes a step further. There are three specific behaviors you talk about in the book that uh, each correspond to the three we just talked about that leaders need to, to keep in mind. What are, what are those? Yeah.
0: Well, when we talk about those fundamentals, we're saying that's from the CEO to the front line. You want everybody mm-hmm. doing those things. And what we learned over, again, about a three-year journey, including we piloted this content in about 70 of our restaurants. And so, we had real firsthand experience, not only with, I don't know, five, six, seven thousand 7,000 team members, but we could watch their uh, their data and watch their reports and see what was working and what wasn't working. And so you combined all the benchmarking with the pilot. And what we learned is there are some things that leaders can do to accelerate the journey. Now I would, I will contend to my dying breath. If you can get everybody to do the three things we just talked about, do those fundamentals, your execution will improve. Mm. But if you want to do that more rapidly, there, there are three things. One is for leaders to coach for life. Don't just help people be successful at work, help them be successful at life. Now that does a lot of things, probably most specifically it bolsters engagement and engagement the way we define it is nothing more than how much someone cares. You got to care if you're going to do the right thing the right way every time. If you're going to make a commitment to pursue mastery, you have to care. So when you've got leaders that care about you and demonstrate that and are concerned about your whole life, that goes a long way. I'll give you one quick example. I learned this from Clemson football as well. Mm -hmm. I walked into their locker room, and I know some of your audience may not be Clemson fans, but they execute pretty well. I mean, let's just give them that much. Mm -hmm. So the team has four goals, and the first is that everybody graduate. And the second is that every athlete leave college with skills for life. Number three is that they have a great college experience. And number four is that they win a national championship. Mm. They're, they're coaching those players on more than football. And we, we saw that in, in many different arenas and avenues, but that was the most vivid. So coach for life. Number two is focus on process. Focus on process. When things aren't turning out like you want them to, go upstream. It's kind of a root cause analysis. Like, okay, why did this happen? Was it a selection error, a breakdown in training and development? Is there a process problem? Is there a communications issue? And you work on the process in order to get better outcomes. It's not something exclusively within the domain of leaders, but frontline team members generally aren't thinking as much about process. They're trying to follow the process. (laughs) And if you've got a problem with recruiting or training or communication, you know, you want leaders working on that kind of stuff. And the third and final leadership behavior, it's communicate tirelessly. And let me say a word about that. This was so evident and so prominent, we had about a three-year debate on it being the fourth fundamental. I mean, it was at the end of the day, it was almost a coin toss because Mm -hmm. we couldn't find organizations that excel at execution that didn't do this well. We summed it up by saying communication is the oxygen of execution. So it is really important. Not that coaching for life and focused on process, not that those are unimportant but first among equals is this whole idea of communication. If leaders aren't talking about execution, people generally aren't thinking about execution.
1: Mark, what if the person listening right now is not the one in charge and, and, and they're in an organization that's not uh, excelling at execution? Is there something they can do to influence their leaders, their, their colleagues?
0: I think the answer is Yes. Um, it depends on a few things. Mm. One, it depends on what is their role. If this is a woman or a man that is leading something, they can do these things in their area of responsibility and Mm. their area of influence. If they're not, I would argue if you will embrace these fundamentals as an individual, your work will improve. Mm. And I think that helps the organization probably helps your brand and your personal stock. And you, know, you, you, you do what you can. We, we encourage leaders to bloom where you're planted. And so I, I think these, these ideas still apply.
1: Well, I have a couple of questions I want to ask that aren't directly related to your book, Mark. But before okay. I uh, do that, is there anything else from the book that you want to make sure we, we know about? I, w- I would just
0: choose to reiterate something I said a moment ago.
1: Hmm.
0: No organization drifts to greatness. Every organization ultimately decides how great they want to be. And that's a leadership decision. And so if your organization is not as great as you want it to be, then I'd say make different choices.
1: Mm, Well said. I'd be curious to know book recommendations from you, Mark. What's a book or two or however many you'd like to to reference that you've encountered over the course of your career that's left a lasting impression on you? Maybe it's a book or two that you go back to again and again and and reread.
0: Well, The Effective Executive, first published in the 60s, is still, uh, I think, relevant in many ways today for your audience that does not know that book. It's a little paperback. Peter Drucker wrote it. Mm. And some of my friends refer to it as the source of the Nile. Uh, You will find many of the popular trends in leadership today, you can go all the way back and find that Drucker wrote about that in the '60s. So that's mm-hmm. one that I go back to from time to time. A new book that I have found captivating is Brendan Burchard's book, High Performance Habits. Mm. And uh, I've I've been back through that one several times. It's just it's just rich. And uh, I don't know Brendan. I hope to uh, get to know him at some point. But I love that book. Uh, let me give you one more. I read a lot of books, so um, Mm -hmm. this could be a long conversation depending on uh, (laughs) the content or context. But I really like a book called Insanely Simple. Read it about five years ago. Again, a bit of a spoiler alert. It's about Apple. It's, it's Specifically, it's about Steve Jobs. But the author is a guy who worked with him for 10 or 12 years. And he said, you know, this is a firsthand account. And his punchline, or his premise, actually, and the punchline, is that Steve was not Apple's secret sauce, which is, sounds like blasphemy to many people. He said, uh, Apple's secret sauce was Steve's maniacal focus on simplicity. And he gives hundreds of examples, which I find encouraging because I don't know many Steve Jobs and I know a lot of leaders that don't want to be Steve Jobs. But if you can steal a page out of his playbook, and I found that to be a very, very thoughtful Mm. work on just simplifying things. And that's again, that's been part of my mantra. Make truth approachable, make truth relevant. Make truth applicable. I think simple sells. As long as you don't cross the line and become simplistic, and that's where you know I try to push right up to that line. And uh, so that was a book that. I think is uh, worth
1: a read. You know, those are some great uh, recommendations. I own the Drucker book, just recently acquired it. I haven't had a chance to dive into it yet, but I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Brendan's book I've read and loved. I uh, even did a, an episode where I summarized the book. haven't had a chance to interview him, but uh, hope to someday. And the podcast is just about in its seventh year now, but way back in episode nine, we got a chance to interview the author of Insanely Simple. Uh, I, I, too, recommend that book highly. When it comes to uh, reading, Mark, particularly uh, reading to learn and, and to develop, what do you do? What are some things you do to help retain what you read and uh, maybe ensure you actually implement what you've just learned?
0: Well, that's, that's a tricky question. Let me, give you, let, me, let me share some advice that one of my mentors told me 100 years ago. He said, if you've got an hour to read, he said, you should only read for 30 minutes. Mm. And you should spend the other 30 minutes trying to figure out what does it mean and what will you do? And so if if you take that to heart, you might say, well, that reduces my reading time. But I would say it probably has a huge impact on your effectiveness. And so I'm trying to be sure that I still have enough margin that I build in my life, in my calendar to actually think about what I'm reading. I can't tell you that I'm 50%, 50%. And mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, we've moved not too long ago and I've got more car time. And so I'm doing more audible, which I understand the, the critics and even myself, I probably don't retain as much as mm-hmm. I would if I sat down with a book. But if I can get 60 or 70% compared to 80 or 90%, to me, that's better than nothing. And so mm-hmm. I've tried to steward that time by listening to books. And then what I'll do, Brendan's book was an example. I listened to it, went and bought a copy. And then i can I can mark them up same with uh, insanely simple and books of that nature. I'm almost screening using audible for screening books again, I think time to think to assess, to reflect i th- I think that that's how you internalize it so that you can actually act on it.
1: I'm currently in the midst of writing my own book about mm. so it's it's kind of meta uh, really it's about how to read a book uh, and, and how to how to read regularly and intentionally and consistently uh-huh. and, and why you should do that and and, and how to take what you're uh, reading and, and turn it into action. And I love that tip you just gave. I'll probably be coming back to you in the coming months to ask for permission to share that. Well, you <laughs> but, certainly
0: can. And speaking of that, I'm assuming you have read uh, Mortimer Adler's classic, uh, How to Read a Book. I bet it's 100 years old and you can still buy it. That tells you something, right?
1: Right, right. Yeah,
0: so I think that'd be a great resource.
1: I identify too with what you said about how you experience books today. Um, I'll often listen to a book and that's a screening process sometimes uh, for me. I, I experienced Brendan's book the same way and then went out and bought a copy and, and went back through it while he read it to me as, as I went through the book, yeah. listening and reading at the same time. Well, I know uh, your book, When Every Day, has been out for a few months now. I'd be curious to know what's ahead for you and your team and the rest of 2020 that you're excited about and, and able to share.
0: Well, two thoughts. One is th- the book did come out. It, it launched the same week as COVID. So that was pretty strategic. Uh, I think we've sold three copies. So that's good. I'm glad it's out there. So we'll, we will probably try a relaunch next year. That's still in, in okay. conversation because the content's evergreen. We just want to be sure leaders know about it. What I'm excited about right now is a project that we started a little over a year ago. We've noticed it appears to be getting harder to lead well. Mm complexity, capacity constraints, I mean, distractions, you, government regulations, you make your list that uh, we, we encounter more leaders. And I'm talking about not just Chick-fil-A, just I encounter more leaders in the world that are really swimming in quicksand. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll tell you that in a moment of vulnerability. It's like it, it's never been so hard. So we started over a year ago uh, doing research on a project really around the topic of leadership effectiveness, and that work is is taking shape and if all goes well will make its way into the world in 2022 but we're trying to we're trying to figure out how to help leaders get out of the quicksand
1: hmm. well the title of this book is win every day proven practices for extraordinary results thank you mark for being the author of yet another book that had stories that choked me up uh, and thank you for uh, being a part of the read to lead uh, family and coming on the show today i really appreciate it thank you jeff to dig into more of Mark's history, to check out those books that he referenced, including that interview I did with the author of Insanely Simple several years ago, just go to the page on my website I've created especially for this episode. That's readtoleadpodcast.com slash 326 for episode 326. Got questions, comments, feedback, suggestions for me? You can send them directly to Jeff at ReadTolleadPodcast.com. Coming up next time on the show, we'll be talking to the author of Duct Tape Marketing, a hugely successful marketing book from several years ago. He's got a brand new book out called The Self-Reliant Entrepreneur. I'm talking, of course, about John Jance. That's next time on the Read to Lead Podcast. You can also look forward to my conversation with Alaa Hunkins, who's written a book called Cracking the Leadership Code, which I loved, as well as Molly Fletcher as we dive into her book, The Energy Clock. I'm in the midst of reading that one right now. All that and more coming up soon here on the Read to Lead podcast. Well, that does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time. Until then, remember, leaders read and readers lead.